Welcome to Madison Church Online. My name is Stephen. I'm the lead pastor of Madison Church, and I'm so glad that you're with us today, whether that's Sunday, September 20th, watching this as it premieres, listening to it later that week on podcasts, or watching or listening months or even years into the future. I'm just really excited that you're checking out Madison Church. Our mission here is to connect people with God and each other, and I hope that you'll take a chance and come on out in person sometime so we can connect with you. Now, earlier this week, I was thinking how God, the topic of God, but God specifically as kind of like this person or deity, is very almost impossible to cut out of our society. I mean, it's it's impossible to avoid God altogether. What I mean is God's name shows up in the back of our currency. In God, we trust. God's name shows up in our Pledge of Allegiance, one nation under God. I understand that part was added later. But it just seems like no matter what, even in our very modern society, God still remains a central figure to that Um, What's more is that almost 90% of Americans, 9 out of 10 people, so most of you watching or listening, will identify as a person who believes in some sort of deity. You believe in God, even if it's not the Christian God, but 90% of people, that leaves 10% roughly um, atheists, people who don't believe in God. This is according to Pew Research. Now, of the 90%, who do believe in God, half of them identify as Christian or believing the God that's written in the Bible. Um, Now, whether or not you identify with the 90% who believe in God or the 50% of that 90% who believe in the Christian God or the 10% who don't believe in any God, I think that we have a very difficult time avoiding God and we have a difficult time not asking questions about God. We all have questions about God, even kids. And I love I, what I found this week also in thinking about this was some letters that kids wrote to God. And they're cute and they're funny. And I wanted to share a few of those with you. Um, this one is from Brandon. He says, God, I bet it's very hard for you to love all of everybody in the whole world. How do you do it? There are only four people in our family, and I can never do it. I feel you there, Brandon. (laughs) Uh, This one from May. Dear God, are you really invisible or is that just a trick? May is, she's having some deep thoughts. Uh, My favorite one, though, comes from Jackson, who writes, God, dear God, maybe Cain and Abel would not kill each other so much if they had their own rooms. It works with my brother. Jackson offering God just a little bit of advice there. You gotta love it. Now, these letters from children to God are never, ever gonna get answered. I mean, I don't think they are. I have not known God or seen an example of God writing someone back using a pen and paper in the U.S. Postal Service says, right? But if we're honest, you know, those questions that the kids are asking aren't necessarily gonna deter them from having faith or seeking spirituality. I mean, if May doesn't find out if God is... Uh, really invisible or just playing a trick, that's not going to turn her away from faith. But as we get older and we we grow out of being a kid and adolescent and into an adulthood here, our questions get bigger. And when they don't get answered, it can actually lead us to a point where we don't feel like we can believe in God, or maybe we shouldn't believe in God. And so God is all over society, or, or so it seems. It's hard to avoid God. We have questions about God, 
And we have big questions that go unanswered. What are we to do with all of this? Well, that's why we're doing the series called Making Sense of God. If it's your first time with Madison Church, whether in person or online, again, we're glad you're here. Um, And before I get into today's topic uh, in our series, Making Sense of God, I want to iterate um, to you guys and reiterate to those of you who were here last week that the goal of this series for me is not to convince you that what I believe or what we believe at Madison Church is the right way to believe. I'm not trying to say that you're wrong. As a matter of fact, when we're looking at all of these questions over the next several weeks, what we're going to discover together is that most often it's not just one right answer. It's, it's multiple answers that could work. There's not one right answer to our questions. There are actually multiple answers that could work. And what I hope comes out of this series, when we get to the end, is that you can say, you know what, it is completely possible to be a person of faith who is intellectual and rational. That you don't have to leave intellect and rational at the church doors when you walk in, but that you can be a thinker and still have faith. And as a matter of fact, I think that'll become even more evident when we're talking about questions that have multiple possible answers, and you see that people of faith can be intellectual and rational and disagree with each other, and it still work out. And so all of that said, today's topic, is there a God? Is there a God? That's the question that I want to talk to you about today. Last Sunday, I presented how I didn't believe, and I didn't think that the Bible presented a case for life having a purpose outside of God. And just a quick summary nutshell, last week I said, you know, if you think that your life is going to somehow find meaning or worth through accumulating a bunch of wealth or accomplishing a bunch of things or experiencing a certain amount of pleasure or, you know, finally having enough knowledge or wisdom. If you thought that at some point that was going to make your life whole and complete or give you meaning, I I thought you were wrong. And I don't mean that arrogantly, like I know what's best for you, but I know that your value is not the sum of the things that you have accomplished or have not accomplished. The value of your life isn't the sum of the money that you have or you don't have. For a lot of us, that is really good news. It's good news that my worth isn't dependent on what I accomplish or what I don't accomplish or the things that I I don't or am not able to do. And so I said, you know, I had a hard time believing that there'd be purpose without God. Now, that's not an argument for God. Okay, just because we agree, maybe you, you agree with me, that, well, without God, yeah, there, there is no purpose in life. But that's not an argument for God. It's completely possible uh, in an argument's sake that, well, there is no God, and so, yeah, there's no purpose of life, and what are you doing this week? But last week, I said, I, I do think that there's a God, and that's the issue that I want to address today. Is there a God? I think so, and I would like to present some findings with you. The first thing that I would like to present to you is that there have been some really, really smart people. I mean, people who are way smarter than me, which isn't saying much, but people who are way smart who also believed in God. You don't have to be a dummy to believe in this stuff. Albert Einstein, one of the most highly recognized and revered scientists of all of human history, once said, everyone who is seriously committed to the cultivation of science becomes convinced that in all the laws of the universe, there is manifest a spirit vastly superior to man and to which we with our powers must feel humble. 
And I like that idea a lot so much. He says, you know, the more I study science, the universe, the more I study and learn about life, the more I realize that I'm humbled, but also that there's something out there. Now, we have doctors and scientists at our church, and I know that they share that sentiment with Einstein. Now, they are very smart. You can trust them. But they say, you know, the more we study, the more we understand, the more that it it points to some sort of creator. Next, um, you've probably never heard of this guy. His name is Francis Collins, um, but he is just as smart as Albert Einstein. I'll give you just a little bit of details on Collins here. He's an American physician, geneticist, who discovered the genes associated with a number of diseases. And it led him to, he leads the Human Genome Project. Now, those are words that I don't think I've ever said in my entire life. So let's just say he's super smart. He is the director of the National Institutes of Health, and he is going to describe his journey toward God, not just any God, but the God of the Bible in this short clip. Now, we could go on and on and on uh, about a bunch of well-known and and lesser-known, smart, intelligent people who also believed in God. And then we could present a bunch of arguments for why you should believe in God, and and then other people could provide uh, counter-arguments, and we could have counter-counter-arguments to our arguments, and eventually your your head could just fall off your body because your mind would get so full of the arguing. And again, that's not what we want to do in this series, um, you know, not at all. I, I want to suggest to you today that there are some signposts. We've talked about milestones being like baptism and practicing generosity in the Christian faith, milestones. But today I want to talk about signposts, things that point us in the direction of God. And so the answer to the question, is there a God? I believe that this question shouldn't be just simply intellectual, a topic to study, a subject to dissect, but I think it also has to be experiential. I think it has to be something that we experience here. I I think that what I'm saying is that for a lot of us, we have experienced faith in God, and for some of you, God might have seemed real at some point in your life. I mean, really real. But then someone did something, and it absolutely devastated you. And now it feels as though God has left you to to tend to yourself in this really rough world. And so I know you've experienced that. I I know there are people who have experienced this. They've been a part of a church, and they got burned by people they love, people they trusted. And they thought, if that's what God's people are like, I don't want to be a part of the church. And you know what? I've been there. I've been there at Madison Church, where people that I've loved and cared for have really let me down. And I think, is this worth it? And then I know that there are some people who, um, and now more than ever actually, um, get the version of God's people. And it's what you see on the news or on the front page of the newspapers or um, on social media feeds. And it's narrow-minded, petty, and arrogant people who use the Bible and God to justify their bad behavior. And so then a lot of people in society are saying, I want nothing to do with Christianity because that would maybe mean that I have to become petty and arrogant and narrow-minded. Now, I know that those don't cover all of the negative experiences that you might have had with God's people or God. And at the same time, though, I would bet that it's 
it hasn't been all bad either. I'm sure that there have been, for those of you who grew up in or around the church, some really good moments um, too. And so what I want to talk about in this little bit of time that we have left together are some of those good moments, and maybe good moments that you didn't realize were in your life because of God. So again, let's call these moments signposts. They don't necessarily make an airtight case for the existence of God, but they point people and you and me toward God. They address us both intellectually and experientially. Um, They resonate deeply with many of us. One of the signposts is uh, beauty. When we experience art or beauty, I believe that that is pointing us toward God. N.T. Wright, one of my favorite authors, writes in his book, Simply Christian, we must acknowledge that beauty, whether in the natural order or within human creation, is sometimes so powerful that it evokes our very deepest feelings of awe, wonder, gratitude, and reverence. We've all experienced moments where we have just been blown away by art or by beauty. And it could be like the first time you're at the top of Rocky Mountain National Park and you're overlooking all of these other mountains. It could be the first time you saw the Grand Canyon. But it doesn't have to be just a natural wonder. It could be when you saw the Eiffel Tower for the first time or the skyline of New York City and things that people have created. It could be at a concert hall when the orchestra is playing and the music moves you. Or maybe you're on State Street at the Contemporary Art Museum and you see art and it really deeply invokes something inside of you. I believe that art and beauty point us toward God. It points us toward a divine creator of the universe who has created us in his image to appreciate beauty and art. The psalmist writes, the heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. I love that. It's like, look at the world around you and at all of the amazing things in the world. God did that. And they point us to God. They point us to our he- the heavenly artist. Beauty does call us out of ourselves into something bigger. And it also resonates deeply. It resonates deeply, but it calls us to something bigger. And there, I believe that that points us to God. The Christian story proclaims that at the heart of the universe is the beautiful one. Now, beauty is one signpost. Another signpost is justice. We long for justice. You know, when kids are little, like my kids, Oliver and Elijah, they're having a fight, and and one of them might say something like, that's not fair, and anyone with kids has heard that before. Also, if you're an adult and you have siblings, you've said that before, most definitely. Um, But what is fair? How do we know fair? And better yet, how do we know what's not fair? You see, fair would be this idea that something isn't as it should be. We're talking about something and we say, well, that's not right. Well, how do we know what right is? And I think that all of us, every single human being has the feeling that the world isn't right. We all know that the world isn't as it should be. But how do we know that? I mean, how do we know that the world isn't as it should be? Is it something that we're taught by our parents, by society, or is it something that we're born with? And I would argue today that I think it's both. I think that there are things that you're born with and you just innately know something is right or wrong. I I think that most people know that hurting other people is 
wrong. I think that judging or um, treating other people unequally is wrong based on the, you know, the gender or their sexual orientation or the color of their skin. Those things are wrong. And I think that you know, when you're born like that and you think that, but I think that there are other things that later on in society, it does get more complex. I'm not trying to say that issues of justice aren't complex because they are, but as you get older, the things that do get complex, we have to teach and learn from one another. We lean in and listen to the stories of those who have been, in, in my example, treated unfairly or poorly. We talk about why something isn't right or why something is wrong. We look to a God who showed us firsthand that our faith is supposed to be diverse and equal and inclusive. And when we look at the life and legacy of Jesus, hang with me here, when we look at the life and legacy of Jesus, what we see is a guy who regularly and consistently upset his culture and his society by going out and reaching out and taking the side of the social, political, and economical outcasts of his time. C.S. Lewis, one of the great Christian thinkers of the 20th century, wrote, human beings all over the earth have this curious idea that they ought to behave in a certain way. It cannot really get rid of it. Lewis is saying, you know, there's something inside of us that we just, we kind of know that some things are right and, and some things are wrong. And, and yes, it does get more complicated. But to say that there's this essence of fairness within us, there's this essence of something isn't right within us. And I know what you're thinking, but Stephen, Christians have done their own fair share of absolutely horrible things. And you're right. I can't offer a defense for that. I would say that I've done awful things. And if I were a betting guy, I would say that you've probably done some awful things. We've all done things that we're embarrassed of. And certainly some people have done some worse things than other. We all, though, have to admit that we have a great capacity for good. We have a great capacity for evil as well. But that doesn't mean that we should not, as followers of Jesus, passionately pursue justice. And I believe that that justice points us to God. We know that something isn't right, but how? Well, we are created in the image of a just God. So when we see injustice, we feel that deeply inside of us. Now, third and final signpost pointing us beyond ourselves is a desire for relationships. Now, I'm not talking about romantic relationships. So those of you who are single, I'm not saying find yourself a partner and get hitched. I'm not saying that at all. Relationships don't have to be romantic. Now, it certainly can be romantic. Some of you have experienced relationships on that sort of intimate level in a marriage. Some of you um, have found relationships with your with your children, and, and you can remember the first time you heard them cry, their voice. You can remember the first time you saw them with your eyes, and something deep inside of you connected with them. And it wasn't just simply biology, but it was a relational connection with a child, with a spouse, or it could be sitting around and being with friends and being known in a way that nobody else knows you. And not just being known, but still being accepted. Like I said, none of us are perfect. But to have a friend who knows that and still wants to be our friend, there's something deeply profound inside of us that that resonates. We want that. We long for that. And we seek that out. Relationships point us back to God. God is relational. We are made in his image. 
And so we are also relational. Now, whether you believe in God or not, um, I, I think that every person has experienced something deep inside of them um, that resonates. Not, and it's, But I don't think that it's just beauty, justice, and relationship for the sake of those things. I think that deep down we know that there's something more going on if we're willing to get a little uncomfortable and walk into a gray zone where maybe things aren't clear cut. It's a little bit like music. Um, there's the treble clef, which are the higher tones that you hear. And the counterpart to the treble clef is the bass clef. And those are the lower and deeper tones. The treble is something that you hear, but the bass is something you feel. I can remember going to concerts before um, COVID-19 and when the guitar solos go, that's awesome. And there's like an energy that comes with guitar solos and riffs and all of that. But it's the bass guitar and the bass drum as it's kicking and pounding that you can just feel it in your chest. You can hear the electric guitar, the treble, and it gives you that energy, but the bass is something that you feel deep inside of you. And I think that in our society, the treble is kind of like social media, marketing and advertising on TV and, and entertainment. There are so many things that are pulling for your attention and my attention. There are so many people who want, frankly, our money. They're like, buy this, buy this, buy that. And amidst all of the noise that's going on, all of the things that we can hear going on in the world, I think that we long for some base in our lives. We long for that feeling, something deep inside of us that resonates with us. The presence of God resonates within us like a bass note. God is not merely something to just learn about or even just talk about, not just something to listen to and, and get hyped up for, but something to experience deep down inside of us. And, and I believe that this longing to experience that is in every single one of us. We are looking for that. So as I've said, and we'll continue to say, the goal of this series isn't to convince you that I'm right and you're wrong or that we have the right way to believe and that you know, anyone who doesn't agree with us is wrong. It's not like that. But we do want to go on a journey of exploring God together. And so I want to invite you to take part in the challenge that we issued last week, and we're going to continue on this week. We're calling it Pascal's Challenge. Now, uh, last week I introduced Blaise Pascal. Um, we told you about his wager. Blaise was a 17th century mathematician, very, very smart, one of the greatest intellectuals in the history of Western civilization. And he had a passion of helping people find a life-giving relationship with God. Pascal, after his own awakening, began challenging his colleagues, also really, really smart people, to take a bet on God. He would say, you know what? Pray. Seek God out. Pray. And what he wanted them to pray was, God, if you're real, make yourself real to me. God, if you're real, make yourself real to me. And that is a prayer that God is eager to answer I believe God is real. I'm not trying to take away from that when I say, God, if you're real. But what we are saying is, God, make yourself real to me. Show up in ways both expected and unexpected. Now, I want to tweak Pascal's wager for us this week. Last week, it was, God, if you're real, make yourself real to me. This week, I want us to pray, God, if you're real, make yourself real to us. Because the Christian faith was not meant to be done alone. It wasn't meant to be by yourself. You cannot do life or faith 
by yourself. We are called to be together. And so I want to invite you to join us the next five weeks, whether online or in person as we continue this series. I want to invite you to be part of our small group communities, which are starting back up in October. And we're going to be talking about issues just like this, like can we trust the Bible? Is there a God? And we'll go deeper with these things where you can ask questions and be encouraged by other explorers. So let's continue to pray, God, if you're real, make yourself real to us. Let's commit to being a part of this community as we go forward. And let's end on this. Jesus became so real. He left his throne in heaven to be a baby, to be just like you and me, and to grow up with all of the feelings, thoughts, and emotions that you and I have. In in the John's gospel, it's written like this. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood Jesus lived with us, and Jesus lived amongst us. And he was the ultimate and perfect signpost, pointing us to the one true God. And yet Jesus experienced all of the things that we experience, the heartaches and the excitements and the letdowns, the disappointments. He experienced all of life as we experience it, through human eyes, thoughts, and feelings. And yet, at the end of his life, he still was willing to let himself um, endure untold pain and suffering, ultimately leading to his death on a cross, so that you and I could know the one true God. And if today it's been 10 years since you've been to church, or you've never been to church, or it's your second week with us or you've been with us for a while and you want to take that step where God has been showing up in your life in expected and unexpected ways, we want to give you an opportunity right now to commit to living your day moment by moment for him.